you got to find excitement in the instruments. It's not about just wanting to do it to get a job. It's not about, hey, this is the best thing for my career. You're really going to make it far if you enjoy it. But if you're not enjoying it, you're really not getting what's meant to be gotten out of music. Hi, I'm Sean Perrin, and you're listening to episode 153 of the Clarinet Podcast, the show for clarinetists. Today's special guest is Anthony Rodriguez. He's a doubler with extensive touring experience with Phantom of the Opera and SpongeBob SquarePants. We discuss how to deal with performing the same music numerous times, tips and tricks for having a near constant performance schedule, taking your clarinets on the road, and why Anthony left a corner office 9 to 5 job to return to music. I've been looking forward to having this conversation for a while. It's actually funny because back in the early days of the podcast, I actually thought it would be fun to get on Squidward, who's the character from SpongeBob who plays clarinet, onto the show. But I think this is as close as we'll ever get. So before we get started, I do want to thank our sponsors. You can take your playing to the next level with Pacoon Musical Services. With 14-day trials, free shipping on eligible orders, and expert advice, you can be sure you're making the best choice for your musical needs. For Canadian customers, be sure to check out the new online store that lets you pay in Canadian dollars. And for everyone listening, you can save 10% with code CLARENEAT at checkout when you're shopping at bakunmusical.com. That's code CLARENEAT at bakunmusical.com. Imagine a read that lets you focus on your music, lasts for months instead of days, and even saves you money in the long run. It's all possible with Legere Reads, the world's leading synthetic read brand made right here in Canada. The European cut read is preferred by Legere artists all over the world, including Eddie Daniels, David Schifrin, Corrado Giuffredi, and many others. It offers a warm, clean sound with great ease of articulation, and is now available for E-flat, B-flat, and bass clarinet. Learn more at your local music store or at Legere.com. That's L-E-G-E-R-E.com. Thanks so much for coming on, and welcome to the show, Anthony. Of course, thank you for having me. We've been meaning to chat about your um, SpongeBob touring experience for some time now. First of all, what is it like playing a show like that, doing all the doubling and some of the tricks you've learned on the road? And and also, I just want to touch on how this has all gone down with this recent situation um, as far as how this has affected everything. And, you know, is there a future of these kind of shows, hopefully, and, and more? So let's just start from the top. So how did you get into this this tour? The tour started in Chicago, which was before Broadway. It started there. I'm living in Chicago mainly when I'm not on the road. Uh, and I was lucky enough to go see and you know meet most of the people playing in the pit were my friends. The show then moved to Broadway. And then there was talk about a first national tour. And they reached out to me to ask if I was interested on going on the road. It's going to be a first national tour. You're going to be partly on the stage for part of it, partly in the pit. It's just going to be you. Would you like to do this? And I said, of course, that sounds crazy. Like, who would not want to <laughs> play for SpongeBob, especially when, you know, Squidward, one of the major characters, is a clarinet player. So uh, we got on the road with that. It's such a crazy thing because SpongeBob is so well known already. Instead of being a musical as a TV show for 19, 20 years now, um, it's so ingrained in people's minds the way certain things are phrased. Um, for instance, the the penny whistle thing that dun 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 in the opening of every show. So when you play that, I felt that I needed to take, you know, not only what's on the page but all of that into account as well because everyone is listening to it it's not just something where musicians would know if you messed up that's something where you know mom and dad who never watch any musical theater they know when that's wrong that's so interesting to me because for someone who normally plays like classical music um like i do 
and I don't play much pop music or music that's too societally ingrained like you talk about. But for me, I remember I was playing a show of Zelda music one time. And to me, I just showed up, I did the gig, and I was actually playing percussion for that. So I was doing bass drum. And this one piece or song, whatever you want to call it, we started... It just starts with like a boom, boom, boom on the bass drum. But as soon as I started playing, the audience went wild and they're screaming and yelling. And I was like, oh, this must be a familiar tune to these people. And they're all dressed up in costume. And it was so crazy. They wanted autographs afterwards from the from the musicians. And I was like, man, this is nuts. But but yeah, you're right. These people have such a, a connection to this music. Have you ever experienced that before this gig? Or is that sort of just more common in, in Broadway shows? than? In- I think it's more common in the newer Broadway shows that are coming out. I mean, there are definitely some of the older ones, Sound of Music, King and I, um, that are ingrained in culture themselves. But now you're coming out with shows such as Moulin Rouge, uh, where it's basically rearranged pop songs throughout the entire musical from the year, you know, 1998 to, you know, current. And it's something nice that I think helps bring in people that don't know much about theater, don't know much about music, but, you know, they listen to the radio, they know what they like. And to hear it changed kind of welcomes in a lot more, a larger audience. Totally. I love that. So what's it like when they reduce a book? Because you said originally before we went on air that the Broadway um, show of this tour had two books and they've condensed it into one. So how many instruments are you playing? What are you carting around? Is it like stressful switching? How much coffee do you need? (laughs) A lot at the end of the day. Um, So luckily for me, um, the one book came out to penny whistle, flute, clarinet, oboe, alto sax, and tenor sax. So six instruments total. That is kind of average for what newer Broadway is looking like. Um, back in the day, you would just have a flute book, and that would be read one, flute piccolo. You know, read two, clarinet, maybe E-flat clarinet if they want to throw another one on it. So the two players, I think the only difference, the instrumentation was identical. It was just two players, so a lot of the harmony was there. There's now a program, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Notion, and within Notion, it's basically like a finale type thing, but you can input the current tempo and have it play back at that tempo. So a lot of the read two sounds, a lot of the missing string sounds that we can't carry on the road with us moves into that book. Uh, Luckily enough, when they were putting it together, they asked for samples, they asked what I was more comfortable with as far as saxophone. You know, I prefer flute, oboe, alto sax, and clarinet is what I'm comfortable with. Tenor sax, you know, I can play it, but it's not my specialty. So we ended up reducing those away and putting those into Notion, where I could focus on the higher things that I sounded better on. Is it like a synthesizer then, or is it pre-recorded samples that you... You get a mini keyboard that's about, I want to say, 18 keys, and uh, somebody is physically inputting the tempo, depending on a rhythm chart that is created out and then that rhythm chart is auto-playing everything else that is put in there. Oh, super interesting. There's a lot of tech involved in this that you learn about really quick when you're, you know, shown it. So do you think that um, technology is increasing in Broadway more than the average person realizes? I mean, I remember even watching, I was in drum, well, not drum corps, but marching band, but we, we kind of call it drum corps now, I guess everybody does. Um, but I remember being shocked because I didn't, do anything with it for like 12 years. I was in it and took a break, did university, took a long break from even watching a show. And then I got called to adjudicate a marching band competition. And, and I honestly, it was one of the few times where I've been speechless. Like I didn't even know what to say into the microphone because it was so different than when I was in it. They had like marching marimba and like someone playing bass guitar and there was a four or five synth players. And I was like, what is, 
this is not what I remember marching band to be. And I was floored because it was so loud. Do you think that this is kind of trickling into Broadway too? all the all the modern technology more than we realize? Yeah, I think that's something that um, I know from being involved in the Chicago's union. That's something that they've been trying to fight for years, nearly decades now. But I don't think it's something you can fight. I think it's something that should be educated and, you know, people should be looking forward to this. It is there is no stopping technology, no matter how we think, you know, we have gone from having physical post mail all the time to now just being able to get an email in two seconds with the equivalent information. It is definitely the easier thing for producers to see. But I think if more musicians become comfortable with this technology, it'll only enhance their performance. If we look at now with this whole quarantine madness, uh, people are recording themselves in a lot of these, you know, multiple frame videos where they're playing four or five different parts. And I think that goes to show the people who are getting a better result at the end of it have been studying these programs, have been using different recording, editing programs. They, you know, made click tracks to make their life easier. And the people who are now doing it for the first time are seeing how difficult this is. And the learning curve is very steep on this. Um, but I think it's great in the end. I'm so excited that people are now going to these electronic um, electronic media, or at least seeing these programs and getting more familiar with them. You know, you raised so many interesting points. And, and I myself have actually felt this sort of, uh, I don't want to call it a punch in the face, but that's kind of what it is for technology right now. Because, I mean, I had never even really done any online teaching. And I was not really that apt with any of these video apps. And um, so now this whole thing is here and suddenly everyone's thrown into being online content creators. And the interesting thing about that for me is at first I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I'm still fortunate to be working, but I also thought to myself, I've got some time here to, um, while I'm not doing anything else in the evenings or even leaving my house, I mean, maybe I have some time to actually focus on some some video projects and things I've wanted to be doing, right? Well, it just opens up a can of worms that I have no idea about. I don't know how to play a seven-part thing into a, a, a video program. And, you know, you spend six hours trying to learn the software and think you're ready to go and you can't get your mic working or something <laughs> like it's yep. <laughs> a, there's so many little things and I, I for every one person you see making content online there's got to be 10 or 12 who who totally are overwhelmed right now and gave up you know not to mention it's saturated like it's not just me with some goals for that right now there's all of a sudden 50,000 other people publishing clarinet you know online lessons and youtube videos and whatever but what are your thoughts on all that it's definitely saturated uh i think everybody can come out of this very much stronger than they went in if they have certain goals in mind. I don't think people should be trying to keep up with other people because I know some of the mindset of some of my colleagues have been, oh, I see that. I want to do that now when they're not prepared to do that. For me, for instance, I'm spending a lot of the time working on tonguing. Um, I'm doing some online projects with friends, but, you know, double, triple tonguing. Whenever have I had the time to just sit here and go ticka, 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 hours on end. I think of it like college. I was given all the time in college to practice and I never really used it efficiently. I played, but I had no idea or the purpose of the exercises where now I can actually sit down and realize my own issues in my playing and come out of this with them hopefully fixed or closer to being the way I want. 
So this actually reminds me, I was talking to another listener the other day. He was saying, you know, how focused he was on his goals and all this. And I had to ask him, well, wait a minute, how old are you? And he was in like his first year of college. And I was like, man, I wish I had your dedication and, and thoughtfulness when I was in college. Like I was mostly looking for what time the bars opened after class. And, <laughs> and this guy's here, like knowing exactly what he wants to do with his, you know, teaching career and stuff at 18. I was like, man, good for you, you know. But I think, you know, the online stuff, it's so weird because... We're in a world where everyone knows if you put on a recital, or maybe not you, but just a person who puts on a recital, and um, it depends how many people are going to come, whether you're Karate Joe Freddy or, you know, a second year college student, you know, you're probably not going to get the same numbers. So, so try, you can go viral on the internet, but I would try, you know, for those listening, don't compare yourself to those people because you wouldn't on a normal day, you know? So if you're getting 300 views and, and a big name is getting 20,000, I mean, that's that's kind of the way things work, right? So, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. And if you can accelerate your views and get get things like that, it's it's all the better. So, absolutely. And it's always great to just have content out there because you can look back. You know, uploading someone listed YouTube videos are a great way to do it. I have stuff from seven, eight years ago that I listen back now, and I'm like, how did I ever sound that way? Why was I getting hired? Um, and then I have things from three years ago, and was like, oh, that sounded good, but that sounded terrible. And it's a good way to just timeline yourself to see where your playing is well that's the tricky thing too is that the online stuff it's still performing people think oh i'll just make a quick video and whatever you start listening back and it's not perfect and you you do it two hundred and fifty thousand times and it's still not perfect and yeah some of these online um projects i've been working on with friends uh like where we have a friend like me coming out from aladdin i had did two saxophone parts and it's weird because you don't get to hear the other people and when you're recording it and you're listening back later, you have to be very, I, I applaud studio musicians more than anything, because you have to be so direct and so driven without hearing that final product that it's it's mind boggling to me. I'm lucky enough that most of the time I perform the entire pits with me and I have them in my headphones and I have a mixer to turn up things where I need. Yeah, absolutely. So let's head back to the, the, the SpongeBob tour for a minute here. I, I wanted to ask, you know, that is, uh, I'm actually not too familiar with the show, so forgive me if this is a silly question, but so SpongeBob is known for having a character named Squidward, of course, who, uh, how do I put this? He doesn't play the clarinet very well. <laughs> so are there times where you have to practice sounding bad to get this on, you know, the show or how does it work? There is actually two times I needed to cover for Squidward, um, who's on stage uh, playing the clarinet. One is in this dream dance number where he sounds miraculous. So it needs to be something runny, something high, something just to impress. Whereas at the end of the show, he walks out. And my little trick for that was slipping my reed a little bit higher to give me a fuzzy sound and made it sound difficult to come out. Where you just came out with dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. But it wouldn't sound that great. It would be out of tune. It was definitely something to think about because I thought about just sounding bad. And then I was like, well, what is something someone who's inexperienced would do? And, you know, putting the read in the right place is something that's so difficult, you know, even for me today, that if that's a slip off, certain notes don't sound right. And that was the easiest way to make him kind of sound a lot less than his impressive clarinet solo about an hour before. (laughs) Well, it's so funny because one of the things I love about uh, telling young students, because I often go around the room and ask, you know, what what made you want to play clarinet? And not so much now, more five or six years ago, but back then, especially kids were like nine out of 10 were like, oh, I love SpongeBob. And, 
And uh, that's why they picked it. So the clarinet, interestingly enough, got a lot of traction from that show. And in some ways, it's kind of like what the Simpsons did for the saxophone in the 90s. Um, except the, the difference is no school band ever says there's too many clarinets. But I remember in the 90s, they had a lot of rules in band programs where you couldn't start on saxophone and you had to audition for it, for example, because every kid and their, their friend and everybody, they'd have a whole band of saxophones because of the Simpsons, <laughs> right? Absolutely. So uh, I always love to tell kids like, you know, the one thing I can promise you is at the end of our first lesson today or whatever is you'll sound better than SpongeBob SquarePants, the Squidward guy. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was always honking on that clarinet. It's pretty funny. They always love it too. They look on their faces when they realize like, oh, I sound like Squidward. <laughs> it's like, okay, it's perfect. So I always love asking people who perform um, in the way that you do on, in, on, on touring and uh, with multiple instruments and all these various things, constant shows too. Two questions. Um, the first one is, how do you deal with the repetition mentally? And the second one is, what kind of like tips or tricks do you have that the average classical player like wouldn't even think about? Repetition, I think that goes on a show-by-show basis. Um, SpongeBob was luckily, each song was written by a different pop artist, including David Bowie, Yolanda Adams, uh, John Legend. So the music was great, and the audience just soaked it up no matter where we went. I didn't get bored of that show, which is really lucky. But when you do get bored of musicals, where I have in the past, um, I try to focus on something different for each show. Tongue placement is something. Your air support, um, if you can circular breathe in certain places, where can you add it? Just something to mix it up because it brings your mind. You know the notes. You're not going to mess up the notes. You've done the show. We did it 160 times. But it's more of what can you get out of this performance of the show? is I see each one as like a little goal to just improve a certain point of playing tips and tricks. uh, Your instruments always need to be well-maintained. That is something that I think you take for granted. You on the road, there is no time unless you make it to keep your instruments in check. Uh, My oboe actually cracked and the whole top joint was basically done. I had to ship it out to Germany to get it completely reassembled. And I was afraid my clarinet was about to crack, too. When we were in Vegas, uh, my rings were popping off because it was so dry there. And I've never had that before. So I've learned that in situations like where you're going to be dry or traveling, keep a keep a turkey feather, keep almond oil on you and just keep your wooden instruments, you know, try to keep them climate controlled because they will fall apart quick. <laughs> yeah, I imagine the the things you don't think about, right? I mean, I, I once heard of a soloist. I can't remember who it was now. Someone who came on the podcast like four or five years ago. Um, but they said they used to keep a batch of reeds in different cities. Like if they knew they're going to New York and, and Tokyo and Berlin or whatever, they would just keep a batch of reeds in each place that are already climatized because you'd get there and it's a disaster. And I guess, you know, you can kind of mitigate that by using the the synthetics now, right? I was going to say, you're, you're kind of lucky on that. Um, I do. I've been using Legere's for years. Um, they're just consistent, especially when you're doing that. You want to, as a musical theater performer going to all these cities, you want to eliminate any variables you can. And if you can eliminate, you know, your read warping or sounding different, then that's why I take that chance. Legere's have always been solid for me. Yeah. 
Yeah, totally. And you know what? I, I wanted to ask you, though, like, what about some non-musical things that we might not consider that you do? I mean, we, we spoke before we went on air about the AirPods from Apple and how they kind of just make life easier and simple things, how you don't even have to take them off to change your outfit, which you're doing many times a day. Um, but I remember I talked to Garrett Hack. He always makes sure to get a quiet water bottle that he can set it down and drink quietly from. And I was like, I would never even have thought about that. But, but um, you know, I guess when you're in it every day and, and it's, it's a real an issue, right? Yeah, um, I actually, my water bottle was a little noisy, but you always drink away from the mic. Um, a filtered water bottle is also a recommendation. When you're staying in hotels, you never know where the next clean source of water is going to be from. So if you can always have that filtered water bottle and just take it from a, you know, hotel sink, uh, you know, somewhere in the lobby, it makes your life so much easier. So they have water bottles with built-in filters that you can just kind of more save. Oh, that's such a good idea. Yeah. Um, I think it's Brita. Brita is the one I have, but I know a bunch of companies do it. Yeah, you just pour the water in and then the straw feature has the filter built in and you change it every two, three months. A water bottle on the road is definitely something you need. No matter what your source of it is, always stay hydrated because anytime you have a bus day, anytime you're on a plane, you get dehydrated so quickly that you'll notice it in your chops uh, what's not responding. That's such a good idea I, I, because I always, when I travel, I always get upset stomach because the new water generally affects me negatively. And um, the thing is you think, oh, you can just buy bottled water. But usually, and this is such a you know joke, but most bottled water is sourced locally from the tap water and just put into bottles. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> you're going to get, you know, maybe you buy Dasani or Aquafina or whatever, um, but you're going to get to that city. And oftentimes it's just the tap water maybe purified a bit with some extra minerals or something added, but it's just the local tap water. So you're not really doing yourself a huge service by drinking the bottle over the tap. <laughs> so your idea is brilliant. Um, and so what about like, you made me think with your oboe that was going out of commission there. Like, so what did you do? Did you have to rent a new one or borrow it or, you know, transpose it all on the clarinet or <laughs> I tried my best to, um, fix it i remember it happened i was playing sharper and sharper and i had no idea what was going on i tried four different reads and i was like this isn't me this is obviously the instrument i looked at it there's a giant gash on the outside it's a crack i knew i had that was finally reopening so i ran upstairs on the next tacit number and i took just a bunch of super glue and just threw it on let it sit i got through the show with played through the end which is what i needed um and then i spoke to them we played it on flute until uh, RDG Woodwinds was able to send me a new oboe to use until I got mine back. Um, luckily enough, when we were in rehearsals for SpongeBob, I kind of asked to add more oboe to the show. So the book did not ask for as much oboe as I physically played for the show. So it wasn't anything anyone was mad about. It was just, oh no, this happens. I'm not the first person. I'm probably, you know, the hundredth 300th person to have this happen on the road. I think wooden instruments are the worst thing to take on the road, but if it's your instrument, I feel like you should play it. And if it breaks on the road performing, then it's done what it's meant to do. And you can always get it repaired. Yeah. Yeah. Well, think back to a lot of rock musicians. I always wondered like they're breaking their guitars on stage. And, and then you think about what those guitars are going through as touring instruments. Like, it's, Oh yeah. They get <laughs> so put it out of its up, misery, right? you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's Almost. good to put the miles on it. You know, why have, you know, a Ferrari if you're never going to drive it? I wonder if one day we'll see these road worn guitars and stuff, but road worn clarinets, that may be kind of cool. 
Oh, I'm sure you see them all the time. I'm sure you see them on eBay and, you know, high school students are playing them without knowing. I mean, it's like a new special edition, though, like with, you know, worn off keys and, you know, mm. the whole deal. I mean, ridiculous. But I always that always blew my mind about guitars. Like you go to buy a nice new guitar at the store and there's one there that looks 70 years old from, you know, the Rolling Stones. And it turns out it's brand new, made last week, but, you know, tumbled through a machine to make it look like, you know. You know, that's the, the thing about jeans back in the day, the worn down jeans that look like they're wear um, or the ripped jeans. But I always had this idea that I wanted my instrument to be perfect. I never wanted any of the lacquer to wear away, any of the key strip. Um, and then you start playing all these shows and you realize how resilient your instrument is. And each little scratch is kind of a story or a memory. So I don't mind, you know, beating it up as long as, you know, it's performing. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing too, is the aesthetic is nice, but when you're using something for work and you're playing 200 shows a year or more or whatever, I mean, it's going to get used. It's, you can't expect it to stay in, in tip top shape. And you know, it's funny cause I remember my mom telling me a story about when she was a kid and it was at that point, it was uncool to have new stuff. It was considered nerd nerdy or something. So you'd go buy a nice new pair of white tennis shoes. And the first thing you did was go looking for a pile of mud to to, you know, get them all stuffed yeah. up, looking, <laughs> blend in, you know, kind of thing. And uh, so that's that's super interesting. So before we wrap up, I just wanted to talk a bit about your kind of origins as a doubler and, and where you studied and, and who you studied with. So I'm from Brooklyn, uh, New York, originally. I started uh, started playing alto sax in junior high school. Um, and then between sixth and eighth grade, I kind of got bored with the saxophone um, while still playing it. So I started playing flute on it. Uh, adding flute to, you know, start learning with the lower bands. Uh, I then moved to high school and we had like a jazz band competition in Japan so that only the senior jazz band was allowed to go on. So I quickly got my chops up on saxophone and flute. And in my four years there, I added oboe, you know, clarinet, uh, all the other saxophones, bunch of piccolo. I went to... Frenchwoods, which is a theater camp I worked at. I went as a camper for two years and I worked there for four years. And they're in upstate New York and they basically do uh, summer stock musical theater. And they hire both staff and, you know, campers to mix into those pits. And it's basically like theater boot camp where you're put into four shows in three weeks and you're playing them rotating. So you're sight reading really quickly. You have to get the doubles up and it's just, it's, you know, exposing you to all of this new music. After that, I went to Brooklyn College. I studied with Bernard Goldberg for flute, um, Adino Biagi for oboe. I worked with David Gould a lot for clarinet, who uh, works with Van Doren in New York, saxophone, uh, Paul Cohen. And then, you know, just from there on, I actually took a couple of years off because <laughs> it turns out when you go to a very high stress music school with all those teachers, uh, you get kind of worn out of music for a little bit. But then I came back, I moved to Chicago and got back in the theater scene and worked there, you know, for four or five years before then going out on the road with SpongeBob. Being a doubler is just about uh, you got to find excitement in the instruments. It's not about just wanting to do it to get a job. It's not about, hey, this is the best thing for my career. You're really going to make it far if you enjoy it. Because if you enjoy it, you can spend hours on different instruments just doing the most mundane tasks. And I think that's uh, an important thing for every student to realize that, yeah, you might do it for school credit, but if you're not enjoying it, you're really not getting uh, what's meant to be gotten out of music. You need to enjoy some part of it. And if you don't... Um, Find something you do. 
and try to make that uh, a main focus. If you like video game music, if you like, you know, cartoon music, you pop music, there's so many options and no one is the right one. <laughs> it's all about your personal experience. It's so funny you say that because I had this exact experience with trying to become a doubler um, after I graduated. I thought, yeah, oh, maybe a great idea would be to to pick up flute and saxophone. Well, I I was miserable at flute. I could barely make a sound. <laughs> Even with assistance, I was horrible at it. And the saxophone too. I picked up a saxophone. I, I, I rented it for a while. I rented it so long that I owned it. <laughs> and there was one day where I just looked at these two instruments and I was like, I don't even like playing these. Why would I why would I pursue this? I'm never going to be good at it because I don't want to do it. And it, it totally dawned on me that like the people who like to double love to double, <laughs> you know, they love the different instruments and, and they're, they're fascinated by the differences and all that. And I just, I did realize that wasn't me and that that's okay. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. When you took your couple years off. And again, I can totally relate to that because I always joke that what I listened to 10 years ago was all sorts of different music. And, and now I listen to silence because my ears are so <laughs> with all the podcasting and music teaching and performances and everything. I just, I just want silence in the background now, but in a way it's sad, but um, you had a break from music. What brought you back? What was it that inspired you to be like, this is my path after all? When I took my time off, I worked at a law firm and I made it pretty high up at the law firm to the point where you got the coroner office and I could have retired doing that. And I got to the point where I was still doing shows at the same time as working there, but it really became a splitting point that I need to choose one. I can't stay in both or I won't excel. And if I don't excel at either, there's no real happiness. You're just settling at both. And I felt it was my just, I still had the time to do this. So I might as well make a go at it. And luckily I quit uh, December, 2018. And two months later, I got the offer to go on the road and, you know, hopefully things go up from there. <laughs> well, it's always funny how things work out. Like you got to go that path and, uh, I'm not really a believer in too much spiritual stuff, but I mean, a lot of people talk about this feng shui or whatever. And if you don't let things out of your life, there's no room for things to come in. And in a way, I, I do believe that's true because um, you won't go looking for opportunities that you don't need or don't want or don't think you can take on, right? But if you present them to yourself and present a new kind of mindset working forward, you can you can totally do that. So, well, I'm so sorry to hear that the show was, uh, I guess, canceled or was it postponed? Yeah, so we're canceled, um, unfortunately. Uh, we are hoping to see what next season holds. Obviously, it'll be a different show. I'm hoping to continue touring with the same company. I'm still uncertain about what show that is, but hopefully the government's reopen theaters and allow people to you know, reconvene. Yeah, well, no, it's really unfortunate that that happened, but I'm sure you will uh, come out stronger for the other side from this, as I hope that all of us do. And um, I really want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me on the show today. So thanks so much for coming yeah. on the podcast. Of course. Thank you for having me. So if you're listening on Spotify or iTunes, this is where the episode will end. But if you're listening over in the Patreon community at clarnit.com slash subscribe, we'll have a few more questions for Anthony, including what was your first musical memory, some questions about his favorite music, his favorite book recommendations, and a few others. So you can join me over there in the Patreon extended episodes at clarnit.com slash subscribe for as little as $1 a month. But thanks so much for coming on. And uh, where can we check you out online and learn more about what you do? Of course. Um, Instagram is always a good way, anthony.m.rodriguez, or also my website, anthonymrodriguez.com. Um, I always try to keep those up to date. Great. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Of course. Thank you for having me. Thanks. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Clarinet Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please be sure to tell all your clarinet friends about it and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch with me, have a listener question or a guest suggestion, you can always send me a message using the contact form on the website at clarinet.com. And you can now send me a voicemail message, which maybe I'll even include on a future episode of the show. Thank you so much to our sponsors for making the show possible. You can save 10% on your next accessory purchase at bakunmusical.com. And actually, I forgot, that code now covers all items at bakunmusical.com, ranging from the mouthpieces and barrels and bells, all the way up to the clarinets, from the student model alpha, all the way to the top level CG Carbon Custom Clarinet. So if you are in the market for a new instrument, this is a great way to save on your purchase, just by having listened to the podcast. You can use code CLARINET at bakunmusical.com. Also, I'd like to thank Legere, and Legere is actually coming up as a special guest on the podcast. Had some great listener questions submitted, so if you do want the chance to ask listener questions to upcoming guests, make sure to follow Clarinet on social media, on the Instagram and Facebook pages especially. So, But the new Legere Reads, we talk a lot about their new case design, which they have, the sort of uh, embossed letters which are now on the reads, which are permanent and don't fall off anymore, and some of the new technological advancements going on with those products. So I really do think you'll enjoy that episode coming up in the next few weeks so you can check out Legere Reads at your local music store or at Legere.com that's L-E-G-E-R-E.com Thank you, of course, also to our Patreon gold backers who support the show for $10 a month or more. We have Andrew M, April L, David S, Debbie A, Glenn K, Jason S, Josh N, Karen K, Miguel D, Todd M and William L. Thank you so much to all of you for helping make the show possible. I'm your host, Sean Perrin, signing off from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I look forward to seeing you next time here on the Clarinet Podcast, the show for clarinetists.